Section 40 of the Interpretation of Dreams. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The Interpretation of Dreams by Sigmund Freud. Translated by A. A. Brill. Section 40. The Forgetting of Dreams, Part 2. I will now make a few rather unsystematic remarks relating to the interpretations of dreams, which will perhaps serve as a guide to the reader who wishes to test my assertions by the analysis of his own dreams. He must not expect that it will be a simple and easy matter to interpret his own dreams. Even the observations of endoptic phenomena and other sensations which are commonly immune from attention call for practice although this group of observations is not opposed by any psychic motive. It is very much more difficult to get hold of the unwished ideas. He who seeks to do so must fulfill the requirements laid down in this treatise, and while following the rules here given, he must endeavor to restrain all criticism, all preconceptions, and all effective or intellectual bias in himself during the work of analysis. He must be ever mindful of the precept which Claude Bernard held up to the experimenter in the physiological laboratory. Travailler comme une bête, that is, he must be as enduring as an animal, and also as disinterested in the results of his work. He who will follow this advice will no longer find the task a difficult one. The interpretation of a dream cannot always be accomplished in one session. After following up a chain of associations, you will often feel that your working capacity is exhausted. The dream will not tell you anything more than day. It is best to break off and to resume the work the following day. Another portion of the dream content then solicits your attention, and you thus obtain access to a fresh stratum of the dream thoughts. One might call this the fractional interpretation of dreams. It is most difficult to induce the beginner in dream interpretation to recognize the fact that his task is not finished when he is in possession of a complete interpretation of the dream which is both ingenious and coherent, and which gives particulars of all the elements of the dream content. Besides this, another interpretation and over-interpretation of the same dream, one which has escaped him, may be possible. It is really not easy to form an idea of the wealth of trains of unconscious thought striving for expression in our minds, or to credit the adroitness displayed by the dream work in killing, so to speak, seven flies at one stroke, like the journeyman tailor in the fairy tale, by means of its ambiguous modes of expression. The reader will constantly be inclined to reproach the author for a superfluous display of ingenuity, but any one who has had a personal experience of dream interpretation will know better than to do so. On the other hand, one cannot accept the opinion, first expressed by H. Silberer, that every dream, or even that many dreams, and certain groups of dreams, calls for two different interpretations between which there is even supposed to be a fixed relation. One of these, which Silberer calls the psychoanalytic interpretation, attributes to the dream any meaning you please, but in the main an infantile, a sexual one. The other, the more important interpretation, which he calls the anagogic interpretation, reveals the more serious and often profound thoughts which the dream work has used as its material. Silberer does not prove this assertion by citing a number of dreams which he has analyzed in these two directions. I am obliged to object to this opinion on the ground that it is contrary to facts. The majority of dreams require no over-interpretation. 
and are especially insusceptible of an anagogic interpretation the influence of a tendency which seeks to veil the fundamental conditions of dream formation and divert our interest from its instinctual roots is as evident in silberer's theory as in other theoretical efforts of the last few years in a number of cases i can confirm silberer's assertions but in these the analysis shows me that the dream work was confronted with the task of transforming a series of highly abstract thoughts incapable of direct representation from waking life into a dream the dream work attempted to accomplish this task by seizing upon another thought material which stood in loose and often allegorical relation to the abstract thoughts and thereby diminished the difficulty of representing them the abstract interpretation of a dream originating in this manner will be given by the dreamer immediately but the correct interpretation of the substituted material can be obtained only by means of a familiar technique the question of whether every dream can be interpreted is to be answered in the negative one should not forget that in the work of interpretation one is opposed by the psychic forces that are responsible for the distortion of the dream whether one can master the inner resistances by one's intellectual interest one's capacity for self-control one's psychological knowledge and one's experience in dream interpretation depends on the relative strength of the opposing forces it is always possible to make some progress one can at all events go far enough to become convinced that a dream has meaning and generally far enough to gain some idea of its meaning it very often happens that a second dream enables us to confirm and continue the interpretation assumed for the first a whole series of dreams continuing for weeks or months may have a common basis and should therefore be interpreted as a continuity in dreams that follow one another we often observe that one dream takes as its central point something that is only alluded to in the periphery of the next dream and conversely so that even in their interpretations the two supplement each other the different dreams of the same right are always to be treated in the work of interpretation as a whole i have already shown by examples in the best interpreted dreams we often have to leave one passage in obscurity because we observe during the interpretation that we have here a tangle of dream thoughts which cannot be unravelled and which furnishes no fresh contribution to the dream content this then is the keystone of the dream the point at which it ascends into the unknown for the dream thoughts which we encounter during the interpretation commonly have no termination but run in all directions into the net-like entanglement of our intellectual world it is from some denser part of this fabric that the dream wish then arises like the mushroom from its mycelium let us now return to the facts of dream forgetting so far of course we have failed to draw any important conclusion from them when our waking life shows an unmistakable intention to forget the dream which has been formed during the night either as a whole immediately after waking or little by little in the course of the day and when we recognize as the chief factor in this process of forgetting the psychic resistance against the dream which has already done its best to oppose the dream at night the question then arises what actually has made the dream formation possible against this resistance let us consider the most striking case in which the waking life has thrust the dream aside as though it had never happened if we take into consideration the play of the psychic forces we are compelled to assert that the dream would never have come into existence had the resistance prevailed at night as it did by day we conclude then that the resistance loses some part of its force during the night we know that it has not been discontinued as we have demonstrated its share in the formation of dreams namely the work of distortion we have therefore to consider the possibility 
that at night the resistance is merely diminished and that dream formation becomes possible because of this slackening of the resistance and we shall readily understand that as it regains its full power on waking it immediately thrusts aside what it was forced to admit while it was feeble descriptive psychology teaches us that the chief determinant of dream formation is the dormant state of the psyche and we may now add the following explanation the state of sleep makes dream formation possible by reducing the endopsychic censorship we are certainly tempted to look upon this as the only possible conclusion to be drawn from the facts of dream forgetting and to develop from this conclusion further deductions as to the comparative energy operative in the sleeping and waking states we shall stop here for the present when we have penetrated a little farther into the psychology of dreams we shall find that the origin of dream formation may be differently conceived the resistance which tends to prevent the dream thoughts from becoming conscious may perhaps be evaded without suffering reduction it is also plausible that both the factors which favor dream formation the reduction as well as the evasion of the resistance may be simultaneously made possible by the sleeping state but we shall pause here and resume the subject a little later we must now consider another series of objections against our procedure in dream interpretation for we proceed by dropping all the directing ideas which at other times control reflection directing our attention to a single element of the dream noting the involuntary thoughts that associate themselves with this element we then take up the next component of the dream content and repeat the operation with this and regardless of the direction taken by the thoughts we allow ourselves to be led onwards by them rambling from one subject to another at the same time we harbor the confident hope that we may in the end and without intervention on our part come upon the dream thoughts from which the dream originated to this the critic may make the following objection that we arrived somewhere if we start from a single element of the dream is not remarkable something can be associatively connected with every idea the only thing that is remarkable is that one should succeed in hitting upon the dream thoughts in this arbitrary and aimless excursion it is probably a self-deception the investigator follows the chain of associations from the one element which is taken up until he finds the chain breaking off whereupon he takes up a second element it is thus only natural that the originally unconfined associations should now become narrowed down he has the former chain of associations still in mind and will therefore in the analysis of the second dream idea hit all the more readily upon single associations which have something in common with the associations of the first chain he then imagines that he has found a thought which represents a point of junction between two of the dream elements as he allows himself all possible freedom of thought connection excepting only the transitions from one idea to another which occur in normal thinking it is not difficult for him finally to concoct out of a series of intermediary thoughts something which he calls the dream thoughts and without any guarantee since they are otherwise unknown he palms these off as a psychic equivalent of the dream but all this is a purely arbitrary procedure an ingenious looking exploitation of chance and any one who will go to this useless trouble can in this way work out any desired interpretation for any dream whatever if such objections are really advanced against us we may in defence refer to the impression produced by our dream interpretations the surprising connections with other dream elements which appear while we are following up the individual ideas and the improbability that anything which so perfectly covers and explains the dream as do our dream interpretations could be achieved otherwise 
than by following previously established psychic connections. We might also point to the fact that the procedure in dream interpretation is identical with the procedure followed in the resolution of hysterical symptoms, where the correctness of the dream is attested by the emergence and disappearance of the symptoms, that is, where the interpretation of the text is confirmed by the interpolated illustrations. We have no reason to avoid this problem, namely, how one can arrive at a pre-existent aim by following an arbitrarily and aimlessly maundering chain of thoughts. Since we shall be able not to solve the problem, it is true, but to get rid of it entirely. For it is demonstrably incorrect to state that we abandon ourselves to an aimless excursion of thought when, as in the interpretation of dreams, we renounce reflection and allow the involuntary ideas to come to the surface. It can be shown that we are able to reject only those directing ideas which are known to us, and that with the cessation of these the unknown, or as we inexactly say, unconscious directing ideas immediately exert their influence and henceforth determine the flow of the involuntary ideas. Thinking without directing ideas cannot be ensured by any influence we ourselves exert on our own psychic life. Neither do I know of any state of psychic derangement in which such a mode of thought establishes itself. The psychiatrists have here far too prematurely relinquished the idea of the solidity of the psychic structure. I know that an unregulated stream of thoughts, devoid of directing ideas, can occur as little in the realm of hysteria and paranoia as in the formation or solution of dreams. Perhaps it does not occur at all in the endogenous psychic affections, and, according to the ingenious hypothesis of Loret, even the deliria observed in confused psychic states have meaning, and are incomprehensible to us only because of omissions. I have had the same conviction whenever I have had an opportunity of observing such states. The deliria are the work of a censorship which no longer makes any effort to conceal its sway, which, instead of lending its support to a revision that is no longer obnoxious to it, cancels regardlessly anything to which it objects, thus causing the remnant to appear disconnected. This censorship proceeds like the Russian censorship on the frontier, which allows only those foreign journals which have had certain passages blacked out to fall into the bands of the readers to be protected. Edward von Hartmann clearly enunciated the law of association of ideas which is directed by unconscious directing ideas, without, however, realizing the scope of this law. With him, it was a question of demonstrating that every combination of a sensuous idea, when it is not left entirely to chance, but is directed to a definite end, is in need of help from the unconscious, and that the conscious interest in any particular thought association is a stimulus for the unconscious to discover from among the numberless possible ideas the one which corresponds to the directing idea. It is the unconscious that selects, and appropriately, in accordance with the aims of the interest, and this holds true for the associations in abstract thinking, as sensible representations and artistic combinations, as well as for flashes of wit. Hence, a limiting of the association of ideas to ideas that evoke and are evoked in the sense of pure association psychology is untenable. Such a restriction would be justified only if there were states in human life in which man was free not only from any conscious purpose, but also from the domination or cooperation of any unconscious interest, any passing mood. But such a state hardly ever comes to pass, for even if one leaves one strain of thought seemingly altogether to chance, 
or if one surrenders oneself entirely to the involuntary dreams of fantasy yet always other leading interests dominant feelings and moods prevail at one time rather than another and these will always exert an influence on the association of ideas in semi-conscious dreams there always appear only such ideas as correspond to the unconscious momentary main interest by rendering prominent the feelings and moods over the free thought series the methodical procedure of psychoanalysis is thoroughly justified even from the standpoint of hartmann's psychology duprel concludes from the fact that a name which we vainly try to recall suddenly occurs to the mind that there is an unconscious but nonetheless purposeful thinking whose result then appears in consciousness the free play of ideas following any chain of associations may perhaps occur in cases of destructive organic affections of the brain what however is taken to be such in the psychoneuroses may always be explained as the influence of the censorship on a series of thoughts which have been pushed into the foreground by the concealed directing ideas it has been considered an unmistakable sign of free association unencumbered by directing ideas if emerging ideas or images appear to be connected by means of the so-called superficial associations that is by assonance verbal ambiguity and temporal coincidence without inner relationship of meaning in other words if they are all connected by all those associations which we allow ourselves to exploit in wit and playing upon words this distinguishing mark holds good with associations which lead us from the elements of the dream content to the intermediary thoughts and from these to the dream thoughts proper in many analyses of dreams we have found surprising examples of this in these no connections was too loose and no witticism too objectionable to serve as a bridge from one thought to another but the correct understanding of such surprising tolerance is not far to seek whenever one psychic element is connected with another by an obnoxious and superficial association there exists also a correct and more profound connection between the two which succumbs to the resistance of the censorship the correct explanation for the predominance of the superficial associations is a pressure of the censorship and not the suppression of the directing ideas whenever the censorship renders the normal connective parts impossible the superficial associations will replace the deeper ones in the representation it is as though in a mountainous region a general interruption of traffic for example an inundation should render the broad highways impassable traffic would then have to be maintained by steep and inconvenient tracks used at other times only by the hunter we can here distinguish two cases which however are essentially one in the first case the censorship is directed only against the connection of two thoughts which being detached from one another escape its opposition the two thoughts then enter successively into consciousness their connection remains concealed but in its place there occurs to us a superficial connection between the two which would not otherwise have occurred to us and which as a rule connects with another angle of the conceptual complex instead of that from which the suppressed but essential connection proceeds or in the second case both thoughts owing to their content succumb to the censorship both then appear not in their correct form but in a modified substituted form and both substituted thoughts are so selected as to represent by a superficial association the essential relation which existed between those that they have replaced under the pressure of the censorship 
the displacement of a normal and vital association by one superficial and apparently absurd has thus occurred in both cases because we know of these displacements we unhesitatingly rely upon even the superficial associations which occur in the course of dream interpretation the psychoanalysis of neurotics makes abundant use of the two principles that with the abandonment of the conscious directing ideas the control over the flow of ideas is transferred to the concealed directing ideas and that superficial associations are only a displacement substitute for suppressed and more profound ones indeed psychoanalysis makes these two principles the foundation stones of its techniques when i request a patient to dismiss all reflection and to report to me whatever comes into his mind i firmly cling to the assumption that he will not be able to drop the directing idea of the treatment and i feel justified in concluding that what he reports even though it may seem to be quite ingenuous and arbitrary has some connection with his morbid state another directing idea of which the patient has no suspicion is my own personality the full appreciation as well as the detailed proof of both these explanations belongs to the description of the psychoanalytic technique as a therapeutic method we have here reached one of the junctions so to speak at which we purposely drop the subject of dream interpretation of all the objections raised only one is justified and still remains to be met namely that we ought not to ascribe all the associations of the interpretation work to the nocturnal dream work by interpretation in the waking state we are actually opening a path running back from the dream elements to the dream thoughts the dream work has followed the contrary direction and it is not at all probable that these paths are equally possible in opposite directions on the contrary it appears that during the day by means of new thought connections we sink shafts that strike the intermediary thoughts and the dream thoughts now in this place now in that we can see how the recent thought material of the day forces its way into the interpretation series and how the additional resistance which has appeared since the night probably compels it to make new and further detours but the number and form of the collaterals which we thus contrive during the day are psychologically speaking indifferent so long as they point the way to the dream thoughts we are seeking end of section 40 read for you by chiquito crasto birmingham alabama